Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I am Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut and honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. And this week, we're continuing on what's been sort of a, what, what is this, part three, sort of? Yeah, three-ish, yep. Three-ish episodes where we've kind of been digging into uh, sacraments, communion, baptism, liturgy, kind of our thoughts and theology as we're kind of talking through and wrestling through those. All that Catholic stuff. All that Catholic stuff. We've been accused of being Catholic uh, as we're doing these podcasts, which is okay on on some level. Um, (laughs) On some level, we, you know, like there is a point at which like we do confess to be Catholic, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because I, I mean the Catholic and the, what is it, the little C Catholic? Little C Catholic. Big C Catholic. Universal. Yeah, so if you, um, I don't know, if you ever um, have heard or listened to or heard any of the creeds, right, you know, the it's this the creeds are these ancient belief statements of, I believe in God the Father, Son Almighty, or, you know, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and it goes through and lists all these things. Um, there's a modern worship song that's like, I believe in oh, God the Father, right? Like, yes, there's that song. I forgot about that you song. You forgot about that song? That's a really good song. It is a really good song because it's just a creed. Um, Uh But at the at some point in most creeds, there's this line which makes a lot of people bristle and get uncomfortable. Is the like I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes we might think, well, that must mean Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, Mm -hmm. um, which those creeds were written before the Roman Catholic Church was even. A thing. Even really a thing. Um, yeah. You know, so like that's why, <laughs> actually, like that's a really funny thing to think about because there wasn't a pope at the making of the creeds. Otherwise, the pope would have just probably done it himself. Um, Correct. But anyways, so those confessions are a confession that like we all belong to the body of Christ and that among all the true believers in Christ, there constitutes a universal or whole church. Mm-hmm. It's the confession that we here at Conduit Ministries and any church here in the county, the state, the city, the country who confesses Christ's preaching the gospel belongs to the same church. in one church, and we're Correct. all on mission for God you right. know, across history and across nationalities. Yes. So in some sense, we're Catholic. We confess and believe in the Catholic Guilty Church. Guilty as charged. Right. But little c Catholic. We're not Roman Catholics. I am not Roman Catholic, no. So, But although there would be worse things to be accused of. Sure. Like being a heretic. Yes. Um. <laughs> or a prosperity preacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got more problems with prosperity preaching than I do with Catholicism. Yep. So, um, Yeah. So this week, we're digging into baptism. We kind of... Last week, we kind of talked about... Um, all the different things coming in and around uh, communion and like the significance is there. We even did a bit of a theological like overview of sorts. Like I won't say that was comprehensive by any means. No, I think last last the last podcast that we did probably more than anything else revealed us just having a conversation and about what we actually believe or don't believe or maybe don't know that we believe or like Mm -hmm. we're just kind of wrestling with the issue more than making proclamations about this is actually it right yeah because i think the hardest part is like you know there's theology and then there's the application of the theology into practical everyday life um, or not everyday life, but everyday church life, right? As we're taking communion, <laughs> Cameron, Cameron is, uh, he is, every time we film one of these podcasts, he has a different energy drink. I'm trying new ones every week. <laughs> so waiting to get a sponsorship. So this week is ghost sour green apple warhead flavor. Yeah. And. It'll make you. It'll wake you up. <laughs> looks every be, time he takes yeah. a sip of that, he looks like he just had like the most sour thing ever. Um, so yeah, I'll stop. That might be a good Easter egg. <laughs> Somebody it at some be. point categorize mm-hmm. all the different right. energy drinks Cameron's drinking. There you go. So, um, 
but yeah, I think, um, hmm, you know, I'm trying to think of where to start. Maybe we'll just return to um, where I think we've maybe, I mean, this is my, this is my big drum when it comes to like communion and baptism is that I think sometimes because we are afraid of being Catholic or afraid of communicating the idea that somehow communion or baptism will save you or constitute saving you, right? Um, Sometimes we are so afraid of that that we go to a place where we detach it from the gospel too much and unnecessarily, or we get to a place of really kind of guarding against that in such a way that we end up bringing meaning to baptism and communion that are not... It's not there. It's not there, or it's not the right meaning. The The emphasis kind of misses it a little bit. And we've talked about that, but, um, you know, for, for communion, like the meaning that I see sometimes put into communion is this kind of almost this rehearsal, rehearsal of guilt or rehearsal of um, kind of like, I don't know, a weird sort of penance that can sometimes come into the way that communion is presented in some contexts, right? Yeah, and I've sometimes, there's been times where I think I've addressed that even in the like institution of the elements. Mm-hmm. Um, two things that I see is like that kind of somber um, sackcloth and ashes mm-hmm. type of approach to the communion table. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that that's wrong. No, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm just saying that that tends to take over as the predominant mm-hmm. emotional culture surrounding yeah. communion, mm-hmm. baptism, the opposite. Yeah. Right, tends to be the celebration, communion, and the penance. Mm-hmm. If you want to use that word, but and then the other thing with communion is like when someone will come up and grab like the teeniest, tiniest little piece of the bread, yeah, like as if to can almost like make themselves small. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting dynamic. I don't know if it's if there's anything to it psychologically speaking or anything like that. Yeah, but I I do wonder if like in the coming forward of um, during communion, if there's not a, um, if there is not room for a emotive experience that is other than being sorrowful or me. somber right. or woe, right. Right. like can we come in celebration? Right. Right. Of the gift received. Yeah. And to be clear, I don't think either of us are saying that there's no room for exa- self-examination before coming to the table, repentance and penance. Of course. But I think what we're, what does happen when that becomes the predominant meaning is it becomes a place of like communion becomes less emphasized on Christ's forgiveness and sacrifice for us, and it becomes more emphasized on my unworthiness. Or like, um, you know, well, don't take the communion elements if, you know, if you've got unrepentant sin or don't take it in an unworthy manner um, so as to like, you know, bring judgment down upon you. Um all of that has an extreme emphasis on you as the partaker mm-hmm. um, rather than an emphasis on Christ, the giver of himself through communion. Mm-hmm. And I think that distorts it I, over, over the long haul if, if, if it's and, – and I think that distortion happens because we are so afraid of people thinking that communion saves you that we might detach it from the gospel more than we should. Mm-hmm. At least that's my my mm-hmm. kind of thought. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly with baptism, right? Right. Um, baptism is one that kind of like baptism is one I will get kind of like uh, I get kind of um, worked up about um, because we begin to think of baptism the way I've heard many people talk about it to me. 
I'll talk to somebody and they're just like, I'm a, you know, confessing Christian, go to church all the time, love Jesus, like he's my savior. They're like, oh, I haven't gotten baptized. Okay, why haven't you been baptized? Well, I'm just not like, that's for the real disciples Mm. or that's for the real Christians or someone who's really ready to go to the next level of Jesus. And I was like, I don't think that's a, don't think that's true. Like, I like, like, um, or I, I have also encountered people who, you know, like not everybody likes their baptism somewhat public, right? When you're baptized, a whole bunch of people are watching you get dunked in water. Um, like that's, in mo- almost every other circumstance, that's an embarrassing thing to have happen. Um, <laughs> and so some people, I think, maybe avoid baptism because of its public nature. Mm-hmm. And um, and they say, well, baptism doesn't save me, so like it's not going to hurt my salvation or hurt my relationship with Jesus if I don't do it. Now, I'm curious. I know what my answer is to that question. I'm curious what your answer is to that question question Cameron if someone were to come up you say Cam like I'm not getting baptized I know I'm like know the Bible says you know I'm supposed to or whatever but like you say it's not gonna save me it's not part of my salvation like I'm not gonna go to hell if I don't get baptized like why in the world should I do it like what would your response be (laughs) well I would say that um, in a way that's correct Mm -hmm. that baptism the water of baptism does not save mm-hmm. any more than the lack of the water of baptism condemns. Right. You know, but I, then I would also say that the, the Bible doesn't new Testament really doesn't have a category for a unbaptized, willfully unbaptized yeah. Christian. Yeah. That it is um, in most creedal baptismal um like denominations or churches, and we'll talk a little bit about what a creedal baptism church is. Mm-hmm. It is considered to be the first act of obedience upon confession and repentance of sin. Yep. Um, and it would be, I think you would have to, I would I, I would have significant questions for someone who was so staunch on the opinion of no baptism. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus and I've repented of my sins. I would have some really serious questions about how they processed their own sin mm-hmm. and their responsiveness to Jesus mm-hmm. and their... Because the, the place of God's word in right. their walk. Because they're aware that baptism is a right thing that is asked, commanded of them. Yes. And they are choosing not to. Right. Yeah. It, it's. I, I think it'd be a. It would be a significant conversation. It would need to be a significant conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that's almost word for word the language I would use around it too. Mm. There's almost there is no category in the New Testament for someone who has every opportunity to be baptized, but chooses not to. Right. And I think the fact that I've run into people in that category, whether it's because they believe, um, well, it's for this next level Christian, or, well, it's not necessary for my salvation, and I just kind of don't want to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I've run into both of those people. And I think that's a, that's a scary category mm-hmm. for me, because I'm just like, well, that... It's not in keeping with church historic or biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like it's a clear thing that we're meant, we're mm-hmm. told to do: baptize people. Like, right. um, Just some of Jesus's last words to his disciples in Matthew twenty-eight. Yep, go make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yep, right. teaching them all all that I have commanded you. Yes, and yeah, and so that for me, like, becomes like like. Like in like the biblical testament says like anytime in particularly in Acts people confess Christ and then get baptized like Mm -hmm. like is so often it's just like right next to each other it's just like they're like do you say yes to Jesus okay there's a body of water let's dunk Dunk him right Um, well like not to pull the trump card but like hey baptism was good enough for Jesus right 
He got baptized. Jesus was baptized. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. come on now. I mean, like, and we can have some theological conversations about why would Jesus need to be baptized? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that, yes. You know, um, what is the what is the theological point of Jesus' baptism? Right. Baptism of Paul or baptism of John, John. the Baptist and baptism of the church are those two different baptisms. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah, because I was going to, one of the questions that I was going to, you know, kind of rhetorically ask is where do we find the first example of baptism? Mm. I'm talking about New Testament. Yeah. You well, know, that New Testament be, era. You know. Be, I think John the Baptist. John, it would be John the Baptist, right? right? And He's out in the wilderness baptizing people and baptizing Christ significantly. Yes. And his baptism took on a particular, um, like there was a particular particular language to his baptism, mm-hmm. um, a way in which, you know, that I, I don't think it's, um, John's clothes were made of camel hair. This is in Matthew's gospel. It's in all four gospels. Uh, people went out. Um, went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So John came and did a baptism Mm -hmm. on the heels of a person's confession of sins. Yes. Yeah. Um, It It was part of a symbolic turning towards God and repentance. Yeah, a repentance and turning towards God. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily in responsiveness to faith in Jesus Christ. Right. Because Jesus was still a carpenter. He was he was not he had not died on the cross yet. He had not been risen he he had not been resurrected from the grave yet. Right. He was arguably not in ministry yet. Right. You know, and so there was a there was a precursor baptism to what we partake in now partake in now that was maybe theologically tied but not theologically the same yeah and then came jesus baptism mm-hmm. and then um and jesus was baptized by john the baptist yep but not the same baptism. Right. Right? Because if John originally baptized for the confession or in the midst of the confession of sins, Jesus wasn't getting baptized as a response to confession of sin because we believe believe that Jesus is sinless. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then then early church New Testament baptism came as a responsiveness to Mm -hmm. the work of Christ in their lives. I repent of my sins. Um, I turn towards turn toward to Jesus by faith. My sins are in the grave. I'm being resurrected to new life by unity and faith with Him. You know, one of the I think the classic passage that at least that we use here at Conduit uh, to talk about baptism is Romans chapter six. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if we are united like this with Christ in his death in the waters of baptism. We are united mm-hmm. like uh, with Christ like this in his resurrection. Yep. Um, so the Bible has a lot to say about baptism. It does. Um, and it um, maybe the theological stuff can get a little, I don't want to say it's, it gets complex along the way, but the actual practice then as it I think plays out in the early church, I think maybe gets a little bit more complicated. And that's where I have questions. I've got a lot of questions about yeah. that. So Yeah. Well, like, so even John, John the Baptist, like, makes a distinction between what he's doing and what Christ will do, right? Um, so I've been in Mark recently, and in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, right? Mm. Uh, talking about the coming of the one. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and uh, untie. And so John right there is making the distinction of like, I will ba- I baptize you with water, but there's going to be a someone who's coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And like, you want to talk about 
places where the theology of baptism uh, <clears throat> can get kind of complex is because um, the New Testament also talks about baptism of the Spirit, yep. and sometimes that's really a very closely associated with water, water baptism, and sometimes it's talked about almost independently or separate from a physical water baptism. Mm -hmm. And so it can sometimes be a little bit confusing, and where that theologically sits for a lot of people can be a place of contention. Right, right. Um, agreed, agreed. I, I think many of my questions are centered around, like, I think that there's that there's not there's there's not a whole lot of ambiguity in the scripture about the purpose of baptism mm -hmm. or like the 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 what's happening in baptism right or what it's like the distinctive theological qualities that are at play right we confess and repent of our sins yep Right. We 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 proclaim the necessity of faith in Jesus for our salvation. We're baptized with water, symbolizing many things: symbolizing the washing away of sin, mm -hmm. symbolizing the if at least if you're in full immersion baptism, which <laughs> if you're doing full immersion baptism. Symbolizing going into the grave, mm -hmm. the death of our sin, the death of our old self, coming up out of the water, resurrection to new life, and that that is the that becomes the public expression of an inward commitment, or I guess you could say soul trajectory, similar to the way that. You know, our wedding rings are hmm, outward expressions of inward commitments that we have made right. to our spouses, to our wives. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of, that's pretty unambiguous. And there's really not a whole lot of debate in Protestant yeah. theology across the board that that's essentially what baptism yeah. is. My question then comes is like, okay, where in the life cycle of someone who has decided to follow Jesus does baptism happen? Yeah. And maybe what is the church's place in mm -hmm. the practice of baptism in the <clears throat> life of the believer? Right. How much do we gatekeep baptism? Mm-hmm. And probably one of the more significant, most significant questions that I have is, is baptism something that is done in the moments of closest, closest related moments to justification? Mm -hmm. So the moments where I've confessed faith in Jesus and I'm like, step one, my relationship with Jesus, or does it happen in when I've reached a certain point of sanctification in Jesus. Right. Um, and the quote, you, you might be listening and be like, well, what the heck's the difference there and what does it matter? Yeah, what's justification and sanctification? Right. So justification is a legal term, mm -hmm. right? I've been justified. I have been declared not guilty. Right. Right. So in the courts of heaven, so to speak, by the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of Jesus, and by my faith in him, I have been declared not guilty of my sin. Mm -hmm. I'm covered by the blood. Mm -hmm. um, that my guilt has been transferred to Jesus. His righteousness has been transferred to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've been justified in my sin. Right. It's that initial moment of like, yep. I'm forgiven. Yep. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. to produce holiness of heart and life, holiness, like produce fruit in my life, mm -hmm. right? Where it has become demonstrable that the work of God or that the Spirit of God is moving in my life 
and that I am being not just not just cleansed of the penalty of sin, just death right. through justification, but I'm now being released from the power of sin in my life. Mm-hmm. No longer am I a slave to sin. I am a I now become a slave to righteousness, as Paul right. says in Romans chapter six. So the way in which you who you are and how you interact with the world is changing. Yes. Yeah. If um, as you were talking, I th- thought of a. Oh, maybe this is a bad analogy. Maybe it's not. Like justification is the flipping of the light switch, and sanctification is the rolling up of the fader on the light switch. Like it's like you know, justification in is is in some sense a status. It's a qualification yes. that we right. we come into as we believe and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of yeah. our sins. It's an identity. It's an identity. Yeah. And then sanctification is a scale. Yes. It's this it's measured in degrees. Correct. Um you know, and there's we could talk we could probably talk a lot about just sanctification and, mm-hmm. and stuff. I'm, so what is yeah. I have an opinion mm-hmm. on whether baptism is primarily justifying or primarily sanctifying event. I'm interested to hear what you think because I have some like comments on its practicality for mm-hmm. the life yeah. life in church. So I I I've pretty much always understood it as t- being tied to justification and not sanctification. Yeah. I don't see I as I'm sitting here and I'm thinking I can't really think of any scriptures that come to my mind that make me think it's a uh, act of sanctification, particularly because of just it's like, as I think of how it is portrayed and the records of it, is it's like this, like, turn to Christ, get baptized. Like, it's always um, <clears throat> tied to the teaching of Christ. It's, um, or to the accepting of Christ, at least in Acts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I even think of, um, which like this will be something that I'm guessing we will talk about, and we can either talk about it now or a little bit later, but it's, um, at least in one passage, it's compared to circumcision mm-hmm. and um, as a marker of the new covenant, mm-hmm. right? And so like, when do we become partakers of the covenant? Right, just justification. Just, yeah. mm-hmm. Right. There's mm-hmm. not a. There's and the problem with sanctification. If if we were to say sanctification is baptism is a marker of sanctification, which is what I think people are saying when they say, "Well, I'm not ready to be baptized yet, even though I'm a follower of Christ, because I'm not ready to be that committed to Jesus, or I'm not that not that good of enough Christian." Question becomes, okay, well, if sanctification is a scale. Where on that scale does sit baptism? Bingo. Right? How many sins? Whoops. How many sins do we have to have um, repented of and released from our lives in order to qualify? Right. And who gets to be the judge of that? Right. Becomes a really that becomes really tricky. Yeah. So it. I, I agree. Um, I agree, and I think that it. I I believe that it calls into question the practice of pre-baptismal catechesis, mm-hmm. um, which has been a practice or was. It's a very common, very practice. common practice. Yeah, um, and at least in the ancient church, was there was like the church became a significant gatekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, of baptism up until a baptismal, like they, they, I mean, they would literally refer to them as baptismal candidates hmm. as if like, well, you're prepping for the ordinance or sacrament of baptism mm-hmm. and we will determine when you are able to receive that. Yeah. Right. Um, and in some ways, that has it's. I think it's been sewn into the DNA of the new, of the church mm-hmm. even now, um, yeah. where people, um, as a pastor, who say, I you know, come to me and say, I want to be 
I want to be baptized. Is there a class I have to go through? Yeah. Because there's usually like what? Like a three, four week, at least a month long class you have to attend. Yeah. And then like a one-on-one con- consultation meeting with the pastor before before they right. would give you the okay. And they, you might go through all of that and the pastor might say, I'm not going to baptize you yet. Yeah. Um, and I think what they're looking for in that moment is the right I don't know, the right theological affirmation, the right theological declaration, mm-hmm. um, the the um, uh, the you know the proclamation that you know like yeah I'm I'm done sinning, yep, sinning is no longer a part of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, like oh okay no I guess you're really serious about this. Yeah, now we'll baptize you. Yeah. Well, so I, I I think I agree with you, but I wanna I wanna I wanna be the devil's advocate yeah. for the other side of the argument a little bit. Um, so I've encountered and I've run into people, and sometimes this is kind of the um, this is the type of thing that is said oftentimes I think at funerals uh, or around someone's passing, uh, particularly when they maybe weren't living a life that was marked by Christ. Um, and, and you have some uncertainty as to exactly what their um, eternal destination and life was Christ. Were they saved? Were they not? Becomes mm-hmm. that question. And someone might say, well, they were baptized. I, I was at their baptism, you know, back when they were 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, once saved, always saved, mm-hmm. right? Now, We've said in this episode, baptism does not save you. Correct. Right? Um, just because someone baptized, you were baptized, does not mean that you have like that's the that's the proof marker. Means you're saved. Means you're justified. All of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be you know we we would say well that's not very good theology, right? And the idea of baptizing people who just, you know, get up the desire to because they feel like they ought to or they don't understand what they think baptism does save them, they think. Yeah. Um, you know, so we don't want to be baptizing people who then have a false assurance, who then live their lives not following Christ, thinking, well, I was baptized, I did the thing, not, you know, I don't going to worry about my relationship with God because I did that one thing that one time. Yeah. And does not pre-baptism catechesis guard against that. So what would you say like to that? Why would we? Yeah, I think that that certainly would be like, there would be, um, for me, it like, it's, it's more of like, okay, when does the church disciple the new believer? Mm. Does the church disciple the new believer in like a form of catechesis only before baptism? And then, we give them the information that they need in order to understand what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And then they get baptized, and then like, okay, we gave you the information, you did the thing, great. What is the substantive difference between the, like, I, I repent of my sin, I confess, like, I, I want to put the, I want, you know, through faith in Jesus Christ for my the life of sin to be put to death in me and mm-hmm. raised in unity with him. And to do so in that act, even with limited maybe intellectual understanding, and then the responsibility of the church still remains to disciple them in mm-hmm. the faith, whether it is in the moments after or the moments before. Mm-hmm. Right? And part of that is, of course, that like, hey, yeah, you know, this thing that you did or this thing that you're about to do doesn't save you that there's still a it is the it is the first step not the last mm-hmm. you know it is the first right. step in your relationship with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. it's not the it's not the last one you know and like we've mentioned Romans 6 a, a few times and Paul opens Romans 6 with what then shall we say mm-hmm. you know Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to our sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? 
We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may too live a new life. So then, so that then the moment of baptism begins the begins the like process of our sin being continually put to death. It's not the mark of sin being put to death. Right. It's the like mark of sin continually, I think, mm-hmm. being put to death. Um and uh so I I think it just I, I what I think is that I think that it just it it is the responsibility or I think ah, you know, it, it is the purpose of the church, even as it, even as like Jesus commanded it in Matthew twenty-eight, teaching mm-hmm. them all of the things that I have commanded you. You know, that there was a there was there was a functionality to the work of catechesis or teaching mm-hmm. the commands of God, the commands of Jesus that came or that comes along with baptism. But I think that the church has defaulted to saying that that is only appropriate. Or that is most appropriate, I should say, mm. most appropriate pre-baptism, right. not post. That We're they... trying to teach people to obey all the commandments of Christ in in the Great Commission, but we're doing it before we're willing to baptize them, right? In some sense, yes. Yeah, and or saying that you must understand or be you you must be following the teachings of Christ mm-hmm. before you make the public profession that you are following Him. Yeah, you know, like you must be. You must be sanctified already. Right, to some degree. You know, mm-hmm. give up the vices, give up the sins, look more like us. Then we will put the stamp of baptismal approval mm-hmm. um, on you. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't see much in the way of the New Testament that commissions the church to guard baptism in the way that it does. At least historically, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I agree. Like it, it's it seems that um, baptism kind of happens all over the place in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Like it yep. it's talked about way more than communion, and it seems to just happen all the time on <laughs> the spur of the moment. Yeah. Like, well, how could you? We've been criticized here before. When we have a baptism, when we have a baptism here, I, mm-hmm. I try to in those weeks teach and preach on baptism. Yep. Um, and its meaning and its purpose, um, and then we will do the baptisms. Usually, you know, a handful or so, and then it's been my practice to ask any of is there anyone else who. You know, this morning or tonight has, upon hearing the word of God, has decided that you would like to be baptized as well in public yep. profession of a trust in Jesus to put to death your sin and mm-hmm. to be united to him, you know, in new life. And there often is those who respond mm-hmm. to that. Mm-hmm. And the criticism there is like, well, they don't under they how could they they don't understand right this they don't know what this is or they're not we haven't witnessed their actual relationship with Jesus or their conversion or anything like that mm-hmm. and my response to that is like baptism can be the moment of conversion mm-hmm. it's I, in, I think in if we take the biblical account most seriously it does happen at the moment of conversion. Right. Like well, the moment of yeah. conversion. Well, in the way that we often practice baptism is the day of baptism. We usually are very clear in proclaiming the gospel. Extraordinary. And so if someone is in the presence of the baptism uh, on that given Sunday, they've heard a gospel proclamation. Mm-hmm. That, and we are inviting them to respond to that gospel proclamation, yeah. Right. And, you know, I think a question that could be easily retorted or asked would be just to simply to say, well, how, how much did you understand of what it meant to walk with Jesus when you said yes? Right. Yeah. Right. Very little. Very little. None of us really 
Like if you've been following Jesus for, you know, more than a year, right? Like you are beginning to gain some sense of like, I did not understand what this all was going to entail. And you can't like, because everyone's journey is going to be different. Well, what do we say to the critic who says, well, yeah, you gave the, you gave the invitation, someone who was there for the very first time at church came forward. Mm -hmm. Yes. I want to be baptized. I want to follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. You baptize them and then you never see him again. Yeah. What do you like? So what about, what, what about that person, pastor? Well, like one is like, we as a church try and follow up. Like we're not willfully just like saying like, Oh, we don't, we, we desire no connection with you right past this moment. But the thing too is, is like, well, the same way at a Billy Graham, (laughs) at a Billy Graham, you know, thing, like, Mm -hmm. um, not that that justifies it, but like, I guess it's just saying is like, we can't control people. Right. Like, I can't control what someone does. People are personally responsible yeah. for their walk with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I don't, like, I don't, I don't find a huge substantive difference between the person who makes the commitment the first time that they're, gets baptized and we never see them again, and the legitimacy of their salvation being questioned and the person who sits in the pew every single week but continues to hold unforgiveness in their heart towards their neighbor or mm-hmm. they're not generous with those who are in need yeah. or they're unloving and their their words are not full of grace and seasoned with salt and like they're 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 no less demonstrating that their lives have been changed yeah. by the gospel of Jesus than the person who made the decision and then we never saw them again. It's right. just easier for us to have criticism for those who it's like, well, their salvation wasn't legitimate because we never saw them again. Well, yeah. maybe your salvation isn't legitimate because you continue to live without any love for anyone, including mm-hmm. God, but yet you're here every week. So you tell me what the difference is. Yeah. Well, so this is a little bit off topic, but it's I it, it's it's on that particular point and I think gets maybe at the heart behind some of these kind of questions and, and wrestlings. Um I was reading um found a quote from C. S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. And Lewis is making this point and he's saying, like, we often judge by exterior. Like we're judging people's like what we see. God's judging by something different. He's judging the internal man. And Lewis compares, oh, I'm going to forget. Um, he com- he makes a couple different illustrations, but he's essentially, he's comparing one man who, uh, you know, maybe has grown up in really harsh environment, has grown up very unloving and has this really harsh and hard character, struggles with anger, right? And bad family background, bad temperament, all of those things. And he loves he comes to know Jesus. And then he, you know, his life is still kind of a mess, but he is in a conversation and he restrains himself, right? And he kind of like withholds anger and, and seeks to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And, but the rest of his life still kind of looks like a little bit like a mess versus maybe the person who seems to live this very, you know, Christian, quote unquote, lifestyle on the outward appearance just by default. They've maybe been raised in such a way, family dynamics, personality type. They don't have any overt visible sins that the world could look at and say, oh, you're doing an awful thing. They can kind of, even before Christ or without Christ, they would have looked like an acceptably moral person. And post-Christ, post-being in Jesus, they don't make any significant changes in their life because they're like, well, I look good enough. Basically good. I'm basically good. So like, I don't really have any significant sin to get rid of. And so they actually never grow. They never move on that sanctification um, spectrum. Who's God more pleased with? And we might be tempted to look at the person who's not moving at all in their sanctification, but is already just at this starting point that seems good enough. Yep. 
seems like a good moral person. And we might look at the other person who's got several problems in their life and external visible sin, right? but who is making movement and progress in their sanctification and growing, right? Who Who is God more pleased with? And, and Lewis is making the argument, he's like, the one who's making growth, the one who is growing in responding Christ. To responding to the word of the Spirit in your life. Right. And so I, I think that is a heart shift that um, maybe we need to hold on to as we're even thinking about like, because a lot, we, both of these conversations around communion and around uh, baptism, like really where a lot of people and a lot of churches and theological argumentation happens is who gets to. Who gets to. And who controls who and gets who to. who controls who gets to. Yeah. And if we have a heart that is shaped by the gospel and is choosing to submit ultimate judgment to God and is willing to say that, like, you don't need to look a certain way— that there's certain there's not a certain visible morality necessary, but that there's rather a spiritual condition or surrender to Christ that is necessary. That I think solves a whole lot of the tension, at least for does for me. Yeah, I'm just thinking about like. What about really outward sins? Mm. That, okay, so let's say that baptism is the mark of a willingness to confess your sins, repent of them, mm-hmm. turn to Jesus in faith. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right? Um, so a justifying act, but not a, not a sanctifying one. But then there are very outward sins and we all know what those are like very outwardly let's just use like oh geez what's a what's an outward sin that we can use <laughs> now i'm getting myself all messed up in my head because i'm like well um um let's say um Let's just say we we post both that that pre baptism mm-hmm. we continue to see um, besetting sin alive and well, not put to death mm-hmm. in the life of a believer, but they want to be baptized. Yeah, like still a either it comes as an unwillingness. Or it comes as a, I'm I've, I'm enslaved to this, mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not experiencing any I'm not experiencing any victory in my life, in this, but you know like, still believe in Jesus, yep. still desire to follow him, still be still want to be uni- united mm-hmm. to him in mm-hmm. in his death and in his life, like can I be baptized if I'm not like have found freedom in any of these things. Well, again, when we're talking about baptism, like I'd say, yeah, they should be baptized. Like, Mm -hmm. because if we're tying it to a confession of Christ, right? Like we're, again, we're talking about justification, not sanctification. Then, yeah. Like we baptize someone like knowing that the gospel and sanctification is go- is still going to be a ongoing thing. Yeah. And I, I think I mean I've been baptized mm-hmm. and I've I've and had then, to I've had to repent of sins yes. post baptism. Gosh. Yeah. Like <laughs> right? If if like I still struggle with sin. If my first baptism was it depended upon me never struggling with besetting sin again post baptism. Well, let's Forget go. Let's it. go fill up the bathtub. Yeah, um, right. Cause like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, that didn't count like, you right. know? Um, and so, and, and there becomes a significant, you know, when we're having, like if we're having a conversation with someone 
and they want to be baptized. Like, it can take so long. We like to make snap judgments. We like to be able to sit down with someone, have a 30-minute conversation, and think we know them. And we often even do it in even, even less than that. And the thing is, is like, you want to... You want to be the judge of whose names are in the book of life? I don't want to be the judge. Uh, that's not my decision. Um, and it takes, it can take years of walking with someone to begin to see their heart and to begin to see the trajectory that God is having in their lives. Mm-hmm. I think one of the thing, one of the great Things that um, people often misunderstand is we read passages like Paul putting Paul talking about putting we're no longer slaves to sin we're slaves to righteousness putting off the old self and we think oh that's a thing that I can do like flipping a switch right? right put off the old self well that's as much as just you know you know picking changing clothes it's that easy well anyone who has been walking with Jesus long enough knows that that's not true. There are sometimes what um, has been called a termed gross sins. Um, not that they're actually gross, but gross as in that they're kind of large, visibly, easily seen and interacted with sins. Sometimes when people make a decision to follow Christ, those gross sins, those, uh, those some, they will have some sins that kind of just fall off almost without trying. And that's a grace and a blessing to God or into their life from God. But then there comes a point at which that stops and that the more underlying internal habituated sins that are in a person's deep way of being take years to be removed. And so if you're talking about like, am I going to say, no, you cannot be baptized. We're going to wait till you take care of that sin. Um, how many years am I willing to wait? And am I withholding from them a means of grace, a way of Christ affirming to them that they are his, that they are united with him, united with him in death and into life, and like denying them something that could be important to them overcoming that sin? Yes. Yep. Agreed. Not going to do that. Yep. Nope. I'm not going to do that. I am going to, I am going to um, err on the side of Jesus being like, you baptized way too many people that didn't really mean it. That's the side I would like to err on rather than him being like, um, people wanted to do the thing that I commanded them to do and you wouldn't let them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll err on the side of like, Man, bro, you were like passing out baptism like it was candy on Halloween. Right. Well, you know, the because it's not mine to guard. Mm-hmm. Baptism is not mine. Mm-hmm. It's not the church's. Mm-hmm. It belongs to Christ. Mm-hmm. It belongs to His Spirit. Yeah. I, you know, we really familiar parable is the parable of you know the sower and the four soils. Uh huh. And the funny thing is, right. you know, you read that parable and you're just like, what is that farmer doing? Because he's just tossing seed everywhere he goes, right. right? He's tossing it in thorns, tossing it on the road. Thank goodness Jesus gave an explanation. Right? Um, you're like, why is, why is he doing that? You know? And you know what? Sometimes, like, I think we're just like, you know what? We're going to be better farmers than that. We're only going to throw on the good soil. on the good soil really come on now right <laughs> right All right and like i don't know like i i jesus like that parable i i keep mentioning the parable of the wheat and the weeds like I, jesus really does invite us to spread widely yes um to leave the judgment of the goats and the sheep to him to say like let us let us invite all who will come because what I might think is rocky soil might be good soil that's just needs to rest fallow for a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, 
You know, like I, I like heaven forbid I be the person who is like, you know what? I just think they're really going to be unresponsive to this, so I'm not going to push. I'm not going to like you know invite them in because they just seem like they're not really responsive to the gospel, mm-hmm. and that be you know I would hate for that to be on my conscience. Yeah. Um. Does the mode of baptism matter? Well, I mean, no, <laughs> because I mean, like, so if I'm sprinkled on the top of my head, it is the same as if I am fully immersed in water. My personal preference or my personal conviction is not preference, but conviction is full immersion. Cause that seems to be what is talked about in the new Testament. Um, you know, like I, I guess there's maybe I'm just culturally reading into the text, um, but there seems to be pretty good. Like mm-hmm. that's how baptism was done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so again, it comes to a place of like, if one can be immersed, why not? Um, it seems to carry a stronger imagery of the cross tomb and resurrection Uh, sprinkling has a stronger imagery of the atonement and the mercy seat and old testament imagery um which is not insignificant not at all no um but you know that's that's fine but the question and and the imagery of like being cleansed like the water cleansing us of our sin right being washed by the water for the forgiveness of sins yep yep so like yeah so the but the simple answer to the question is Luke, have you ever sprinkle baptized somebody? And I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I did last year. We had somebody who was not, for medical reasons, not able to be immersed in water like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I talked about was like the atonement, like cleansing, yep. like and we sprinkled them, and yeah. it was a fantastic. It was my favorite baptism, right? Um, because I mean, the question is, is like. The sprinkling or the dunking is something that you and I do, um, but the actual like significance of the baptism is done by the Holy Spirit. Right. We baptize with water. Christ baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right. So, like, is the Holy Spirit present in this baptism? Seems to me to be... A I'm more not. salient point. Yeah. Um, now, there are some people that will live and die on this hill. That they would, they will die on the hill of full immersion. This was the way that Jesus was baptized. This is the way that the New Testament church has always baptized people. It is like baptism must be full immersion or triple dunking. Right. Right. In the name of the Father, Father the, the Son, Son, and the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Or first part of the creed, second part of the creed, third part of the creed. Yeah. Like or day want... one, day two, day three, <laughs> two. Right. You know, right. like. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not there. No. I'm just not there. Maybe it's, maybe I have a lower liturgical view of baptism than, mm-hmm. than others. What I would say was like, I don't think the water matters much at all. Mm-hmm. Not well. That's maybe an overstatement. The water yeah, does matter. The water matters. Yeah, you. I think that baptism does require water. But what do we use? A cattle watering trough, like or yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like we, we're we not use even... a large storage tank, seven hundred gallon water storage yeah. tank with the top cut off. Like this thing was not bought from a church magazine. It was bought from like yeah farmer have, store. It doesn't, um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have a heater in it. You know, I filled up with the hose. Right. Not special water, right? It's yeah. city of Jamestown water. Yeah, yeah. We're so. not we're not importing water from the Jordan River. No, I'm not um, making the sign of the cross over the water to somehow supernaturally bless it right. or anything like that. Right. But we do believe Christ is present in baptism. Correct. Yeah. And yes. Maybe the specifics of it are. Mm-hmm. Let's not let's not put Christ into a box by putting so many specifics around the mode. Yes. That we end up limiting Christ's ability to be present in baptism. Right. Right. So could we have communion with Kool-Aid and Cheez-Its? I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? I, You know, like, again, I would, 
I would say, <laughs> like, when, you know, like, <laughs> if you push me, I'm like, sure. Because that's the only thing that's in your cupboard. But when there's, per- when we could have the option for bread and fruit of the vine, then let us do that. Oh, you know. What if it's grape Kool-Aid? That's not fruit. That's, <laughs> that is powder, Cameron. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I don't want to be disrespectful. Yeah. I, I, that's my, that, that would be my, my biggest thing is that like, if you, if you have nothing to take communion, but that sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it just being done? Cause you want to be edgy. Right. Let's not do it because we want to be provocative. Yeah. And say that the elements don't matter. Right. Let's not do that. Right. Um, let's let's be respectful, mm-hmm. right? And same thing with like, I guess I could you know maybe ask the Catholic Church if they could have gotten better super soakers for when they were doing squirting baptisms during COVID. Oh, um, <laughs> I just like part of me yeah, just says Jesus going to have something to say about that. I was just <laughs> said you know what like you guys are that scared <laughs> like let's mm, I would have. Yeah my thoughts but right well then what about this is like the lightning round yeah <laughs> creedal baptism versus um infant baptism pedo baptism i am sympathetic towards infant baptists like i generally get it because you know and even I, I think the the biggest there's that one passage that talks about baptism as being the marker of the new covenant and it's put right next to circumcision. And so that's where that if you're curious as to why people some people baptize babies, it's because well, circumcision was done to children on such and such day, and therefore baptism replaces circumcision for us and therefore mm-hmm. children should be baptized. I don't buy that in its entirety i don't believe that i don't either um i do i'm not of the persuasion that somebody must be rebaptized if they were baptized as an infant and now profess christ as an adult i am not of the persuasion that they must necessarily be baptized Mm -hmm. i believe that god can can use their faith and that that baptism is now their baptism and credited towards them. Like that's a beautiful picture of God's sovereignty and grace and like the family they were born into. But given the choice, I would not baptize a child because I don't feel like that seems representative of, again, of is the baptism is tied to justification. justification. And I ask people, I'm like, well, now that they've been baptized, does that mean that they're saved? And they're like, well, no. I'm like, okay, then you have changed the meaning of baptism. Correct. Yeah. And so uh, many people, you know, people who baptize infants don't think that the ba- the baby is then saved by baptism. That's not that theology. They've just simply shifted baptism to mean something other than the justification. And I think that ignores all the rest of Scripture in light of just a single Scripture. Correct. It's my, yep. my thought. Yeah, I generally feel the same way. Uh, again, sympathetic to, towards those who desire that. Um, but um, because of my belief that baptize, baptism is tied to the moment of personal justification, um, I... I reserve the right to baptize those whom are themselves willing to make a, Mm -hmm. you know, confession of Jesus. Does that mean children? It absolutely means children. Yes. I believe that children can make a confession of faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of their sins. Uh Well, what age can they do that, Cameron? Whatever age they can do that. Whatever age. Because, like, I I will tell you that, like, I... You know, you asked me my story of faith, and, like, I still include the prayer I prayed when I was six. Because I have vivid memories of it. Yeah. And it was a significant spiritual moment for me. Yep. Right? There's been a whole bunch of hills and valleys and other moments of choice and commitment, but, like, that was not an inconsequential moment. Right. So. Right. Yeah. What else? What else? 
mean, I think that kind of covered it, didn't it? I mean, we have covered everything there is to cover about baptism. <laughs> well, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we could have an interesting conversation. We're running kind of long on time, but we could have an interesting conversation about the connection between baptism and circumcision. Mm-hmm. Oh, but... Uh, you know. Yeah, I think in e- that would be a good conversation even for me to flesh out, like, okay, well, if I don't think that that means infant baptism, what do I think that that passage means? Right. Coming up with not just a negative theology of the passage, but coming right. up with an affirmative theology okay. from that passage. Maybe we can tackle that in a kind of a, we'll Q&A ourselves into that question. So. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we'll stop there. Yeah. Um, as always, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, rate, and share it. If you have any questions that you would like us to tackle in our next Q&A episode, you can text those questions to our mailbag phone number, 716 We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.